So uh, I think we're going to begin. We normally begin by thanking the host, the host and the hostess, and uh, giving them a bracha. But uh, I'm not sure exactly over here. Who's the host and hostess? Yes, I'll give myself and my wife a bracha. The bracha Hashem. Since, since I can't say we moved into this house, but since this house, uh, since the Weinsteiners moved out, this house is bracha Hashem been filled with tremendous amount of simchas and brachas and bracha Hashem. This is the first shear that's taking place in the house that I can remember. I think so. Mitzvah Hashem should continue that the house should be built. Mitzvah Hashem on simchas and Taira and tefillah and avoda and chesed and Mitzvah Hashem. We should be zeichet all community. We should be zeichet to have hana. And really enjoy this house in, in all uh, in all ways. So what we what we've been doing the past few months we did not do last month. Teves somehow got stuck in uh, stuck in Hanukkah and weren't able to weren't able to do a share on on Teves properly. But we do in the past few months is really discussing the the idea of the month, trying to go through some of the avoidance of the month, some of the practical work that's supposed to be taking place during the month. This month we didn't start exactly the beginning of the month. It's not really close to Rosh Chodesh Shvat. We're headed towards the middle of the month already. So I think it's worthwhile discussing not Rosh Chodesh Shvat, but perhaps discussing the Yantif of Tu B'Shvat. It's a Yantif which is a very, very mysterious Yantif. It's a Yantif which in the Gemara, in the Sfarm, there's very little written about it. I was in the Sfarm store yesterday and I was looking around. They have two huge tables full of Purim Sfarm, two huge tables, and Tu B'Shvat is, I think, I counted two Sfarm, I think, and Tu B'Shvat. I think three. One was halacha. Halacha is a brachas on what brachas make on fruits, which is not really about, about the yantif, but it's sort of connected to the yantif. And two svarma on the, whole, on the yantif. So there's really very, very little written. Even the Arizal, who normally gives us the kavanas, the, the deeper intentions behind every yantif, when it comes to shar kavanas of the Arizal, the Arizal doesn't write anything about tubishvat. It's not mentioned at all in the writings of the Arizal. There's very, very little mention. The one mention that we find of it, the find of the concept called Tu Bishvat is in the, the Mishnah of Rosh Hashanah. The first Mishnah of Rosh Hashanah very famously tells us there are four Rosh Hashanahs. We think of Rosh Hashanah as the Rosh Hashanah. But the Mishnah tells us Arba Rosh Hashanah Mehim. There are four Rosh Hashanahs. The Echad Ben Nisan is Rosh Hashanah Lamalachim. The first of Nisan is Rosh Hashanah for kings. It has to do with when the kings, when, when his reign is considered counted from, what year. Ulu Regalim and the Be'echad Be'el Rosh Hashanah Lamaiser. The Gemara goes on to discuss four different time periods four different Rosh Hashanahs and the halachic significance that they have. And the Gemara says, Be'echad, Bishvat, on the first day of Shvat, Rosh Chodesh Shvat, is Rosh Hashanah Li'ilan, that's Diver Bishamai. And Basil says, Tu Bishvat, the 15th day of Shvat, is the day that is the Rosh Hashanah Li'ilan. And that's how it has, the Mishnah is discussing something totally halachic, nothing to do with a person, nothing to do with us, nothing to do with the yantif that we call Tu Bishvat, discussing something halachic, has to having to do with the halachas of Arla and Meiser, when exactly, when you begin counting year number one. The halacha is that when you plant a tree, you can't eat from the tree for the first three years of the tree, that's called Arla, the fourth year is called Netaravai, the food has to be redeemed and brought up, brought up to Shalayim. So the Gemara is discussing at what point do you consider counting the, the years of the tree, when does it count, does it count from the time of the planting, and the Gemara discusses that it goes from the time of Rosh Hashanah, the Elon. That's considered the beginning of the year when it comes for the Elonis. Something which, again, is a halachic significance, but it doesn't seem to have a lot of, a lot of significance in terms of the yantif that we celebrate has become more and more popular, which is called Tu And And what we're left trying to figure out when it comes to this yantif is, okay, it's Rosh Hashanah for the trees, and it's a very beautiful thing, and it's a nice thing. What does it have to do with us? What's the avreda in Tu What are we supposed to be doing on that day besides eating buxer and eating dried fruit? Like, what are our intentions supposed to be? What's the day all about? What's the panemius? What's the hidden significance behind this day, which is a very mysterious day? Besides the fact we find that, in general, the tzaddik writes a fascinating thing. The tzaddik writes that we find that as we get closer and closer to Mashiach, there become more and more celebrations of Rosh, of Rosh Chodesh. 
Right? And it's something that we find taking place more and more often. Rishchaydesh Suda is people celebrating it personally in their own homes. You can have communities celebrating it, shuls celebrating it, yeshivas are celebrating it, girls' schools are celebrating it. It's something which is becoming more and more celebrated. And it wasn't always like this. It wasn't, Rishchaydesh was a day that we said halal. We didn't say tachinon. It wasn't considered a very special day, but a woman, it's more special than the concept of not doing malacha. But it was never considered a day which was celebrated so as, as popular as it's become over the past two, three hundred years. And Rav Tzadik says the reason why that happens is because Rishchaydesh is a yantif which is connected to Mashiach. And he goes on to explain why it's connected to Mashiach. But he says, as we get closer and closer to Mashiach, people start feeling that aura, that beauty of what the day called Rishchidosh is. And therefore the celebrations of Rishchidosh start to pick up speed and start to become more and more popular as we get closer to Mashiach. Which means that any Yantif that we find that wasn't as much celebrated three, four, five hundred years ago as it is now, has to do with Mashiach. And it has to be that there's something about a Yantif which is becoming more and more celebrated which reveals something that's connected to the world called Mashiach. And if the Yantav called Tubishva, maybe 500 years ago was just another day on the calendar. It wasn't a day which was celebrated. It was a day which had halachic significance, but no significance to people's lives. And people didn't know about Tubishva. And every school wasn't celebrating Tubishva. It wasn't something that people were talking about. And every year, more and more things are taking place around Tubishva. It's very clear that there has to be something here which spells a Mashiach. And it has to be that there's something in this Yantav that's connected in a very, very deep way to Mashiach. And the question is obviously, what does it have to do with Mashiach? What does it have to do with the Geula? What does it have to do with something that's taking place in the future? In what way does Tubishva reveal something which is deeper than just Gullus, but it reveals something which has to do with Geula? What is it about Tubishva that's so beautiful that makes it connected to that world which is called Mashiach? It, it, it's, You know, aside, aside from the fact that there's no, that there's no a- external significance of the Yantif, and, and the, the, there's, we're left wondering, and we spoke about this a little bit when it came to Hanukkah, that there's not even, a, there's not even something to do on Tu B'Shva. The concept of eating fruits is maybe a minig. It, there's nothing really to do as a concept today. Sascha brings down of davening for an esrig. There's nothing to do. Externally, you're left with not doing anything. It's a day on the calendar. And, and unless we really understand what it represents in a deeper way, we're just left as it being another day on the calendar. And we really have to figure out when it comes to a yantif like this, and the less a yantif is spoken about externally, and the less there is to do externally, the deeper the yantif has to be, and the more connected to Mashiach it is. And the question is, what is Tu what, what is it a day celebrating? What does it have to do with us? What does it have to do with humans? What, what does it have to do with our avoida? And more specifically, how is it connected to the world called Mashiach? So Abnachman tells us a fascinating thing, and we'll see that this really is the secret of what Tu is. Abnachman says there are two types of love that the Rabbani Shem has for Klal Yisrael, really two types of love that take place in the world. One is the love that he calls Ahava Shabiyamim, and one is called Ahava Shabadas. Ahava Shabiyamim means the love that's in the days, and Ahava Shabadas means the love that's in the das, in the, in the intellect, in the knowledge. What does that mean? Nachman says Ahava Shabiyamim means love that's being expressed from the Rabbani Shem to us, from parents to children, from husbands to wives, wives to husbands. It's love that's being expressed externally. When somebody buys somebody else a gift, when somebody writes somebody else a letter, when somebody else tells somebody an expression of love, what that is, that's called a Hava Shabi It's love which is being expressed in a very external way. Hava Shabi Yaman, means the days, which means it's something that you can point to and say that is an expression of love. Like there's five languages of love, there's five ways to express love. Obviously there's a lot more than that. Five basic languages. Those are ways that a person has the capability to express the feeling that they have inside of themselves 
to somebody that they love. A person wants to show that they love their children. So there's many ways you can do that. You can spend time with your children. You can, spend, you can buy them gifts. You can tell them how much you love them, how much they mean to you. That's called the Havash That's the way that a person's capable of expressing the feeling of love that they have internally to people that, to somebody, to somebody else. Goes husbands and wife, parents and children, friends to each other. There are ways and expressions of, of, of love that a person's able to do from one person to the other to be able to express that concept of love. Then Ibn Nachman says there's something called a Havash Abadas. A Havash Abadas means those are expressions. Those are external ways that something, a deep feeling is being expressed. What ultimately is taking place inside of the person's heart and inside of the emotions of the person that's expressing the love, something much deeper than can be expressed. When somebody writes a letter, when somebody buys a present, when somebody spends time with somebody else, those are external ways that a person's capable of trying to show the feeling that they have inside. Ultimately, it, it's a symptom. Ultimately, it, it's not it. When, when a person says the words, I love you, when a person writes a card, when a person buys a present, those are external expressions to something that's much deeper taking place inside. Ultimately, what's taking place inside is that Ahava, which, which Rabbi Nachman calls Ahava Shabadas. It's the love that's taking place in a very internal, real way but it's not able to be expressed fully. So a person can do many, many different things which will help them express the love that they have for the person that they're trying to express the love to, but ultimately, it's not it. Ultimately, it's a way of trying to portray something that's deeper than words, that's deeper than presence, that's deeper than letters that can be written. And all of the external expressions are there just to be able to reveal somewhat of that feeling that a person has. Feelings can't be put into words. Strong emotions can't be put into words. They can't be put into actions, and they can't be put into letters, and they can't be put into presence. Those are all external things that a person does in order to be able to reveal that Ahavashavadas. So in love, there's two aspects to love. One is that which is taking place inside of the person, or by the Rabbanisham, you know, by the Rabbanisham himself. And then there's the external expressions of things that the Rabbanisham does to us that allows us to feel that love from Hashem. So, for example, Nachman's example is Hashem wanted to create the world. When Hashem desired to create the world, the Ahava that Hashem wanted to create the world with, and the Chesed that Hashem wanted to, wanted to express in the, in the creation of the world is much deeper, and much loftier, and much greater than any Ahava that can be expressed, than anything we can grasp and we can point to, it's much greater than that. When a, when, when a kid comes home from school, no, back to the example of parents and children. A kid comes home from school and the parent goes ahead and gives the kid a hug and says, I missed you today. What you're saying is I missed you today. Those are words that are being said, but ultimately and what's being expressed is the hug and the words that I missed you. But ultimately, if you ask the parents, is that it? That's the whole love that you have for this? It's much deeper than that. It's much more than that. The only way that I can show my child that I love them is with a hug by spending time with them, by telling them those expressions. I'm doing everything I'm capable of doing to be able to give over that feeling which is deep inside of me. So by the Rabbani Shem, the Rabbani Shem had a hava towards Klal Yisrael. The Rabbani Shem loves Klal Yisrael. The Rabbani Shem wanted, wanted to create the world because of his love for Klal Yisrael and Bereshis Bishvil Yisrael Shanik Bereshis. So the Rabbani Shem creates the world. All of the love and all of the good that we feel in our lives is only a minute, a small amount of the expression that the Rabbani is capable of doing in order to give us that feeling that we're being loved by Hashem. So ultimately, how much does Hashem love us? We can point to specific things and say, it's obvious that Hashem loves me because things are, take, things are being taken care of in my life. And it's obvious that Hashem loves me because things are going well in my life. But those are just external expressions of the ultimate love that the Rabbani Shem has for us. Ultimately, it's something which is much, much deeper than that. It's called the Havash Abedas. It's the love which can't be expressed. And I heard a mushal one time, if a parent wants, a parent goes on a business trip. You know, and the father goes away for two weeks on his business trip. And, the, and he asked the wife, you know, before he goes on the business trip, what, what do the kids want me to bring back? 
He's going to Israel. What do the kids want me to bring back? So he says, you know, they would love, they would love you bring that, bring them back. So went to Israel. The kids came back with the green, right? The green sweatshirts. Assuming it's from the trip. Every kid, every kid's walking around with the green sweatshirts, right? They want the green Sahal sweatshirt with their name on the back. Okay. So the father goes on the trip and he, he he's planning on buying them the green sweatshirt, you know, with their name on the back. Ultimately, how much love does the father have for the child? Way more than is going to be expressed with that present that he brings back. How much is the father thinking of the child throughout the trip? A thousand times throughout the trip. Every time the father's going, it's constantly on his mind. I have to buy the present, I'm going to buy the present. But it, the, the kid is constantly on the father's mind when he's on the trip. When he comes back, all he has to be able to express his love to the child is the green sweatshirt. And the child has to accept the sweatshirt and say, okay, that's an expression of my father's love. But ultimately with the realization that there's so much more that's there underneath the surface that can't be expressed. And even if the sweatshirt, even if it won't be a thousand sweatshirts, a thousand sweatshirts is just, it, it, it's a minute, small, you know, way to try to express something that's much deeper than a thousand sweatshirts. And the sweatshirt is just there as, as sort of like a, a simon. It's, it's a symbol over the fact that there's real love taking place between the father and the child. And the father was thinking about the child when he was away from the child. When the Rabbanisham loves us, he gives us things that make us recognize that, oh, the Rabbanisham loves me. But ultimately, all of those things are just simanim. They're just symbols for us to recognize that underneath the surface is something much deeper taking place. And the love, as much as we can feel it, is deeper than any expression the Rabbani Shem can ever give to us. A person is able to experience that level of a havasha v'yaman, that level of expression, the, the, the love which can be expressed in a very simple way. A person feels the love from Hashem. The havasha v'das, that love which is ultimately deeper than that which can be expressed, is only able to be found when things are not going well. When a person has love for their child and the child's doing well and everything's going well and the kid's doing well in school and the kid's going to sleep on time and the kid's behaving nicely and playing nicely with their siblings. So it, it's very easy for the parent to be able to recognize that I have love for my child and I'm able to express it. And there's a certain dialogue and a certain relationship that's taking place between the child and the parent because it's a havashabayaman. It's clear, it's obvious love. The kid loves the parents. He tells the parents how much he loves the parents. And the parents are able to say to the kids, there's a clear dialogue, there's a clear relationship. It's called the havashabayaman. Things are very clear. And then when things don't go well, when the kid's not going to sleep, when the kid's beating his brother up, when the kid decides that he, you know, he doesn't want to go to school in the morning, what the parent is then forced to do is to say, okay, now, now the love I need to really be able to dig underneath the surface and be able to figure out, do I have something more than just the love that's able to be expressed? Is the love that's able to be expressed when things are going well, is that a symbol of something taking place which is much deeper than that? Or is that it? If that's it, if that's the only love that's there, the love that's able to be expressed externally, okay, so then when things are not going well, then the love stops. But ultimately, if the parent's able to say that ultimately deep down, the love that I'm expressing is coming from a source and coming from a place where that love is overwhelming and, and it goes beyond anything that I'm able to express, then even when the child is not expressing the love to the parent, and even when the child's not behaving in the way that the parent wants the child to behave, nevertheless, the parent says, okay, now the regular external expressions of love are not able to be there. And maybe I'm not able to give my child a present, I'm not able to give my child the privileges because my child doesn't deserve it right now, my child's not acting the way it is. But that doesn't take away from the fact that ultimately underneath the surface, there's a love there that goes beyond any external expressions. And my kid can tell me that, you know, I hate you and I don't want you to be my parents anymore. And you know, I, I, you never let me stay up past six o'clock and it's not fear and why don't you let me stay home from school? And my kids will say things to me which will be expressed in a way where it's not a havashabada, it's not a havashabiyaman, it's not external expressions of love, but I know that ultimately underneath the surface, underneath anything that could be expressed, 
is a love for the parent of the child and the child to the parent that goes beyond expression. And therefore, when a person, when things are not going well between a parent and a child, between a husband and a wife, between friends, you're really able to figure out what, what, what's really there. Is it just external love? Or is there something much more internal? Is it just that, okay, there's something there, and when things are working, we're able to express the external expressions of love in a way which is obvious? Or is there something much deeper than that? Or is there a havashabadas? There's something which is really, really deep, a deeply rooted feeling for that person, for that child, for that spouse, for that friend. And ultimately, when things are going well, I'm able to express it externally. And when they're not going well, I'm able to dig deep down and recognize that I have that thing which is called a havashabadas. And there's a much deeper level of love, which is really there, which may not be able to be expressed right now. When the Rabbi shows us that things are going well. When things are going well in our life, we're able to recognize that, okay, I'm able to see that the Rabbanisham loves me and things are going well. And I'm able to see that relationship that the Rabbanisham's Kaviyachal expressing his love for me and for all of Klal Yisrael. When things don't go well, a person's then forced to be able to stop and say, okay, is my relationship with the Rabbanisham only based on the external expressions of love that I feel from Hashem? Or do I recognize that those external feelings and those external days that go well are just a symbol to something deeper taking place. And ultimately when things go well, it's Hashem showing me His love. But when things are not going well, that doesn't take away from the love that Hashem has for me. That just means that the external expressions are not there, but ultimately I know and I believe and I recognize that there's something much deeper. And I'm able to close my eyes and recognize that even if externally I can't see that external expression of love from Hashem to me, but I know that ultimately underneath the surface, everything that's being done is for the good. And everything that's being done, even if it's not externally good, it doesn't externally look like expressions of love, ultimately underneath all of that is the ahava that Hashem has for Klal Yisrael and that Hashem has for every Yid. And when a person goes to a difficult and challenging time and a person is not experiencing that level of that level of external love from Hashem to him, or Hashem to Klal Yisrael, or Hashem to the nation as a whole, a person is then forced to be able to stop and say, how, mu- how deep is my relationship with Hashem? How much do I believe that it's beneath the surface or something beyond that which I'm capable of seeing? You know, I was by Hassan last night, and you watch by Badekin. So one of the one of the reasons that the Svarim bring down why the Kala wear Kala covers her face by Badekin, the Hassan covers over her face by Badekin, and she wears it that way throughout the chuppah is because ultimately, what's supposed to be created by a marriage is a, a relationship which goes beyond that which you're capable of seeing. It's not a relationship which is just okay that which I can see. And when things are there externally, when there's external expressions of love, I'm able to see that there's a relationship. Ultimately, what you want to build in a marriage, ultimately we want to build in every real relationship, is something which goes beyond that which you can see with your external eyes. Something that goes beyond that which you can see. So the Kala's face is covered, and ultimately they're making a kinyan, they're making a relationship which says, it's not just about that which we're able to see. And it's not just a relationship which is built on days that go well. And it's not a relationship which is just built on when there's external expressions that are there to be able to show that there's a relationship. Ultimately, we wanna build a relationship which is based on something which goes beyond and deeper that which we're capable of seeing. And with the Rabbanisham, it's the same way. Ultimately, we wanna create a relationship which is called Nasa Vanishma, which is a relationship which we're able to see and experience and feel the Rabbanisham's love for us in a very open, external way. We're able to point to things and say, I'm able to see how Hashem is expressing His love for me personally right now today. But when things don't go well, we're forced to then close our eyes and say, do I believe that the Rabbanisham loves me more than just the expressions of love that he shows to me? Or do I believe that only when I feel those expressions of love do I feel the love from Hashem? And ultimately when a day's not going well, a person's forced to close his eyes 
and stop and say, what is, where is my relationship with Hashem holding? Is it holding in a place where I recognize that there's a real deep-rooted love from Hashem to me, regardless of whether I see it right now? Or is it only a love that I'm able to really experience and see when Hashem's giving me those external expressions of love? Nachman writes a fascinating thing. He writes that when a person stubs their toe, so the natural, the instinct, natural instinct of a person is to, is to they, they squeeze their eyes tight. And it's the instinct that people do when they feel pain. If a person slams their hand on a door, they'll naturally close their eyes. Nachman says, why do we do that? So maybe there's scientific reasons why we do that, but everything that takes place scientifically, everything that takes place in the body, especially instinct reactions, have to have a deeper meaning behind it. Nachman says a fascinating thing. He says, if you want to see deep, if you want to see far, if you want to see across the room, if you want to see across the road, what do you do? What you do is you have to close your eyes a little bit. You have, to, you have to squint. Squinting means that I'm trying to focus on something which when my eyes are wide open, I'm not capable of seeing, but when I squint, I close my eyes a little bit, I'm able to see a little bit further. Says Rabbi Nachman, what happens if you want to see beyond that which you're capable of seeing with your naked eyes? What happens if you want to see beyond that which you're capable of seeing with your eyes? Squinting is not enough. Squinting means that I can see further than the normal field of vision goes. But if I want to see even further than that, I need to close my eyes. When I go through pain, whether it's physical, spiritual, emotional, financial, when I go through pain, what you need to do is close your eyes and say that I recognize that even though I'm not able to see the external expressions of love from Hashem to me right now, even though I'm not able to see how Hashem is expressing His love to me, I don't see that world which is called the Hava Shebiyaman. I'm not able to point to something and say, Baruch Hashem, my life is going so well, I can see how Hashem is taking care of me and He loves me. But at that point, I'm forced to close my eyes and say, but I recognize that Hashem's love goes way beyond any expression. It's a love that's a deep, deep expression, deep, deep love, which can be expressed through various ways, but ultimately it's much deeper than that. The same way the father in the business trips love is not the green sweatshirt, Hashem's love to us is not when days go well. Hashem's love to us is so much deeper than that and so beyond any expressions of love. So all the expressions are just there as a symbolism for me to remember that when things don't go well, I don't forget that the Rabbani Hashem loves me beyond any expression. So when I'm going through a day which is difficult and hard, what I'm forced to do is to close my eyes, maybe not just close them, maybe squeeze them tight and say, Rabbani Hashem, I believe that even though I can't see how externally things are good, and even though I'm not able to experience that Ahava Shabiyamim, I can't point and see how this is an expression of your love, but I know that underneath the surface, I know that beyond what I'm capable of seeing, I know that there's a love that goes beyond any expression. And even though right now I'm not getting that present from you, I'm not getting those words of affirmation, I'm not getting that card, I'm not feeling that relationship, but I know that it's there. Because I know and I recognize and I believe that all of the good days are just there to remind me that there's a love which goes beyond that which is good externally. There's a love that goes beyond any expression which I'm capable of seeing. There's a love which is called the Hava Shabbatas. It's something which is beyond any means of expression. And that's what a person needs to do. That's why, for example, we close our eyes. We say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elekeinu Hashem Achad. Why do we close our eyes? So a simple, the, simple, the simple reason. Halachically is because we want to have concentration. It's one of the things in davening that a person needs to concentrate on. A person needs to concentrate on the passage of Shema Yisrael Hashem Elekeinu Hashem Achad. But deeper than that, the reason why we're closing our eyes is because the word Shema Yisrael Hashem Elekeinu Hashem Yudkei Vavkei is representation of Hashem's Chesed. That's when days are going well, when things are going well. Elekeinu Lekeinu is always midas atin. Lekeinu is when things are not going well. On a day, what I need to say to myself twice a day is Shema Yisrael. I believe Shema here. Yisrael, I'm talking to every, we're talking to every one of ourselves. Shema Yisrael, that Hashem Lekeinu, that the same Hashem, when I'm able to feel those expressions of love and Lekeinu, when I'm not capable of feeling it, it's Hashem Echad. 
It's the same Rabbani Shalalam. There are times when I can see the external expressions and there are times that it's deeper than expression. I'm not even capable of seeing the expression, but I close my eyes and I cover them over with my hand and I say, I recognize that Shema Yisrael Hashem Aleikeinu Hashem Echad. That's why, for example, when Yaakov Avinu met Yosef HaTzadik, after Yosef being lost for so many years and Yaakov Avinu dealing with the tragedy and the, and the terrible, terrible years of losing his beloved son, Yosef HaTzadik, what does he do when he gives him a hug? He covers his eyes and he says, Shema Yisrael Hashem Aleikeinu Hashem Echad. I recognize that right now, What's being revealed to me is the Hava Shabbat Right now I'm feeling an expression of Hashem's love towards me. Right now things are going well. Right now I just realized that the son that I thought that I lost for 22 years has now been revealed that he's fine, he's okay spiritually, financially he's okay, he's gonna take care of us. Right now there's an expression of Hashem's love. But Yaakov said, I, this is not the only time that I was able to know that Hashem loves me. Even through those 22 years of hardship, even when things weren't going well, I know that Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad because my relationship with Hashem is not based on expressions, external expressions of Hashem showing His love to me. Ultimately, my, my relationship with Hashem, Yaakov Avinu says, goes beyond that and it's based on something which is subconscious, which is deeper than anything that Hashem is able to express. There's a fascinating Gemara in Tainus, which many, many, many of the Many of the Svarim bring up, and many of, the, many of the speakers bring up when it comes to the concept of Tu which we'll see has a lot to do with the concept of Tu and really this specific thing. The Gemara tells us about Chaini Hamagal. Chaini Hamagal, who is very famously called Chaini Hamagal, because when there was a drought in Eretz Yisrael, and there was no rain, Chaini Hamagal made himself a circle and walked into the circle and said, Rabbani Shalom, I'm not leaving the circle until you make rain come. And ultimately, right away, Hashem made rain come, and it was a lot of rain, a little rain, and ultimately Chaini Hamagal was able to create this tremendous nace, this beautiful nace, of creating a circle around him and saying, I'm not leaving the circle until rain comes. That's what it's called, Chaini, Chaini was his name. Hamago means the one who makes the circle. He stood inside that circle and was able to bring down rain. But the Gemara tells us another very famous story that took place with Chaini Hamago. The Gemara tells us that Chaini Hamago was always bothered by a Pasuk that we say every week in Shir Hamalas. We say it by, on, before benching on Shabbos. That we say, Shir Hamalas, B'Shuv Hashem Ashivas Tziyoyin, referring to the coming back of Klal Yisrael by the second base of Mikdash, Shir Hamalis B'Shuv Hashem, Hashem is going to return, Eshivas Tzian, the captives of Zion, the captives of Tzian, Hashem is going to return the back, Hayinu Kachalman, it will be as if we were dreaming. And it's referring to the time period in between the first base of Mikdash and the second base of Mikdash, which was a 70 year time period that the Gemara, that the David HaMelech says, Hayinu Kachalman, it will be as if we were dreaming. And Chayni Amago is always, always bothered by the same question. He said, Hayinu Kachalman means that it's as if we were sleeping. He says, you can't sleep for 70 years. The time period in between Chorban Bayes Rishon and Binyan Bayes Sheni, that time period in between the destruction of the first base of Mikdash and the building of the second base of Mikdash was 70 years. David HaMelech says, it's as if we were sleeping. You can't sleep for 70 years. And this question always bothered Chayni HaMagal. The Gemara tells us that Chayni HaMagal was once walking and he saw somebody planting a carrot tree. So somebody planting a tree that had boxer, a boxer tree. So he asked him, he said, how many years does it take for this tree to grow? So he said it takes 70 years for the tree to actually produce fruit. So he says, so do you think that you're gonna live for another 70 years? That you're planting a tree now that's not gonna produce fruit for seven years? You don't look very young. You don't look like you're capable of living 70 years. He says, no. He says, the truth is I came into the world with a tree that I was already producing boxer because my grandfather planted a tree and I'm not planting a tree for myself, but I'm planting a tree for my grandchildren. I know that I'm gonna die before the tree's able to produce any boxer, but I'm planting enough for my ch children. I'm planting it for my grandchildren. Fine, Chayni continues on his way, and the Gemara tells us he fell asleep right near the tree. He goes down and falls asleep. And the Gemara tells us that he slept for 70 years. He slept for 70 years, physically, he slept for 70 years. Again, whether it's a mashal or not a mashal, this is obviously where 
you know, the story of Ben Winkle comes from, it comes from this Gemara and Tainus, Daf Gimel, where the Gemara talks about somebody who slept for 70 years. The Gemara tells us that he slept for 70 years. Hashem protected him, there's a rock surrounding him. Hashem made sure that nobody would touch him, nobody would bother him, and he slept for 70 years straight. He wakes up, and he doesn't know that he slept for 70 years. I guess it doesn't feel that different when he wake up after you know, 12 hours or 70 years, but he woke up after 70 years. I guess they don't recognize that he looked older, he felt older, and he walks and he walks, and he sees somebody taking boxer off the tree that he had seen been planted 70 years ago. And he asked the guy, he says, are you the guy that planted the tree? You look very familiar. You look very similar to the guy that planted the tree, but, but something's off because you told me it's gonna take 70 years for the tree to grow. He says, no, I'm not the guy that planted the tree. My father didn't plant the tree. My grandfather planted the tree. So Chaim Magal realizes that he slept for 70 years. Eventually goes to the smudges. Things don't end very well for Chaim Magal because he realizes he doesn't have any friends. And he ends up saying, and he ends up dying. You know, he, he doubts Hashem that he should die. He realizes that it's not the life you know, that he was living currently, once he woke up after 70 years, after his whole generation, the generation after him passed away, wasn't worth living, and he ended up, he ended up passing away. But the whole Gemara is a very odd Gemara. Gemara makes no sense. David HaMelech is saying, he's giving us a mashal. When David HaMelech talks, he's not actually talking in a way which is literal. David HaMelech says, we're gonna be, it's as if we were sleeping for 70 years. He doesn't mean literally that a person can sleep for 70 years. Chani HaMagar really thought that David HaMelech meant it literally. David HaMelech talks about himself as a bird in, 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 in Tehillim. He says, it's, I found myself as a bird on a roof, totally alone. Chani HaMagar's question is, David HaMelech doesn't have wings? Chani HaMagar understands that the way, it's a poetic license. David HaMelech talks in a way that he says, it's as if we were sleeping throughout those seven years. What's his question? And what's Hashem's answer to him? Hashem's answer to him is that he should sleep for 70 years? And what does the tree have anything to do with it? The Gemara makes it sound as if that's part of the whole story that he saw somebody planting a tree and that's how he knew he slept for 70 years. There could have been a thousand ways he could have figured out that he slept for 70 years. We'd look at the calendar, ask somebody what year, what does the tree have anything to do? The whole Gemara is a very odd Gemara. But the depth of the Gemara is exactly what we're talking about. Chani HaMagal's question wasn't, can somebody physically sleep 70 years? Chani HaMagal lived a life in which he was able to experience his Hashem's bracha in a very clear way. Like we said, Chaini Amago is the person who created a circle around him and said, Rabban Hashem, I need rain, and the rain came down immediately. Chaini Amago lived a life of Mashiach. He lived a life in which he was able to experience his Hashem's goodness constantly. And then Chaini Amago reads to Helam, and he says there's going to be a period in which Klal Yisrael is going to sleep for 70 years, which means that we're going to be stuck in a state where we're not gonna be able to be living with the Vesa Mikdash, we're gonna be living in a place of chayshech, of darkness, we're gonna be cut off in the Rabbani Shalom. And Chayni HaMakal says, Rabbani Shalom, why would you do that? Why would you create, why would you make a, a period of 70 years that Klal Yisrael is gonna be living without the Vesa Mikdash? Shir HaMalas B'Shuv HaShem HaShivas Tzion, Hayinu Kachalmem? Rabbani Shalom, why would you do that? Wouldn't it be greater, wouldn't it be better if you always showed your, your, your greatest love that you have for Klal Yisrael, why would you put us through this period of 70 years? And maybe Chani Amago wasn't just asking on those 70 years, but the 2,000 years that we're living through. Rabbi why would you make Klal Yisrael suffer? Why do we have to go through so much difficult, so many challenges, whether it's physical or spiritual? What do we need this for? What do we need the process of Golas for? Rabbi if you love us, and you want to show us your love, why don't you express it to us clearly? Chaini Amago was asking a very, very deep question. He was saying, Rabbi Hashem, what's the point of suffering? Why do we have to go through so much pain? Why do we have to go through so much difficulties throughout the Galas? And the Rabbi Hashem told Chaini Hamago that ultimately what Galas reveals is something very, very deep and perhaps something even deeper than Geula is able to reveal. When we have the base of Mikdash, when things are going well, we're able to see that, okay, Hashem is expressing His love to, love to us in a very clear external way. But the Rabbi Hashem showed Chaini Amago that ultimately, ultimately what happens in Golas is that a Yid is forced to dig deep and to recognize that Hashem's love is not just 
when I'm able to experience it and feel it. And it's not just when there's a base of Mikdash, and it's not just on days that are going well, and my kids are behaving, and Shalom Ba'is is great, and Chinuch is great, and financially I'm doing well, and spiritually I'm doing that's not only when I'm able to feel the love from the Rabbani Shalom. Maybe that's when I'm able to see the external expressions of that love. But gullus and difficult times and chayshech forces a person to stop and to dig deep and to recognize that ultimately Hashem's love for every single year in Klal Yisrael is much deeper than any external expressions ever can be. And therefore a person's forced at that time called gullus to stop and to realize the Ahava, the Ahava Shabbat that Hashem has for every yid. And a person's forced to get to that place which is called subconscious, where you're not able to maybe see the conscious love that Hashem has for us, but you're able to see the subconscious love that Hashem has for us. That which, that which forces a person to close their eyes and to be able to recognize that beyond anything I'm capable of seeing, there's something deeper. And therefore, Chaini Hamago fell asleep. Falling asleep means that you're not conscious anymore. Falling asleep means that you're lying in a comatose state. He slept for 70 years, not just, this is mamish, literally death. He slept for 70 years with his eyes closed, he's sleeping, and he was able to recognize that ultimately everything he was capable of seeing when he was awake was just an external expression. And the fact that he was able to see that world which is called, which is called Geula, and he was able to live in a world in which he was able to see Hashem's expressions of love in a very clear and obvious way, that's only, that's only a simon, that's only a symbol for something much deeper. And Chayni Amago fell asleep for 70 years. 70 years represent the life of a person, the challenges of a person. Chayni Amago was forced by Hashem to close his eyes and to recognize that ultimately, beneath the surface, beneath that which you're capable of seeing, is something that goes beyond that. The Ahava, which is called Ahava Shabbat that love that Hashem has for us that goes beyond any external expressions Hashem can ever show to a Yidin Klal Yisrael. And it's something that can only be revealed in the darkness. Because when things are going well, when the lights are on, when everything's going well in a person's life, it's very hard to really know this. Because it's Ahava Shatulia Bedavar. Because I'll say that an Ahava, which is based on something external, you don't know if that's a real Ahava. Maybe the only reason why there's a real love taking place is because things are going well. But how do I know how much love Hashem has for me that goes beyond that which, when things are going well? It's only when there's a Cheshach, when there's a darkness, when there's a Gullus, when I'm forced to close my eyes, then I'm forced to stop and to really think about the Ahava that Hashem has for me that goes beyond anything I'm capable of seeing. And it forces me to recognize the deep relationship that I have with the Rabbanu Hashem that goes beyond that which I'm capable of seeing on the surface. And it goes the same thing when it comes to Chinuch and Shalom Bayez and, and our friends. It's the same thing. When things are going well, we're able to see one aspect of that relationship. And when things are not going well, then we're forced to, re, to, to reorient ourselves, to really be able to figure out, okay, when things are going well, I'm able to say, I'm able to understand, I'm able to recognize what the relationship looks like. And it makes sense to me, the relationship. But is the relationship only based on external expressions? Or is there that, that aspect, which is called the Badekin? Is there something where there's a veil on? And I'm able to see that even if right now things don't look well, even if right now things don't look like they're going well in the relationship, but I know that ultimately beneath the surface, there's a deep relationship, there's a deep kesher, which is there between a parent and a child, between a husband and a wife, and between close friends, that's there that goes beyond any days that are good and any external expressions of love. And a person's forced to dig beneath the surface and to recognize, to close their eyes and say, things are not going well, it's not a good day, things are not the way that I would like them to be, the external expressions are not there but I'm able to close my eyes and see that there's something deeper. A baby wakes up at three o'clock in the morning, so, and the baby's screaming, and the baby has an ear infection. So the parent is then forced to say, okay, right now my baby's not being cute, my baby's not smiling and giggling and, and giving me nachas, my baby now is crying. But now what I'm forced to do is to recognize that my love for my child and my baby doesn't go just based on how much nachas my child gives me. My love for my child goes beyond that. 
My love for my child goes beyond that nachas that they give me. Maybe those are external expressions that I'm able to feel for my child, that nachas, and when days go well, I'm able to feel that relationship. But ultimately at three o'clock in the morning, when I went to sleep at one o'clock in the morning, and my baby's screaming with an ear infection, I'm forced to dig beneath the surface and to realize that beyond the nachas and beyond, beyond the easy nights and beyond the easy days that, are, that I've felt in their relationship, there's a relationship which is much deeper than that. There's a relationship of parents to children, of husbands to wives, of friends to, each, of friends to each other that goes beyond anything external. And it forces a person to really be able to recognize and to see something very deep that you can't really see when things are going well. Because when things are going well, it's just a havashaviyaman. It's just external and, and it's, it's there to act as a symbol, to act as a simon to something much deeper than that. And therefore the chayshech, the darkness, allows a person to see that I need to close my eyes and recognize that beneath the surface is something much deeper. We find a fascinating thing in our parsha. We find that when it comes to Az Yashir, if you look in the Torah, once you won't see the, what the inside of the Torah is, you know, even when they do Galila, it's not in that part of the Torah. But when you look, when you look at the Torah, and you can see this, I'm sure you can Google this online and see the way the Shira is set up. When you look at the Shira, the way it's set up, there's a lot of blank space in the Shira. There's the Shira by the Az Yashir, Az Yashir Maisha, which is this week's parsha. It's on one side of the column, and then it's the other side of the column and there's blank space in between. So there's words on one side, words on the other side, and a, and a massive gap in between. It's the only time we find this in the Torah, just a big gap in the middle of the Torah. And it's an odd thing, like, what's the purpose of it? The purpose of this big gap, a blank space that's just there smack in between the Shira. And the answer is very deep. The answer is that there's two ways, again, that Hashem expresses His love. One is with the words, one is with the actual letters that are written in the Torah, but there's something much deeper. Chazal say that the Torah is given this black fire on top of white fire. Black fire is the letters that Hashem does to express His love to us. Black letters is the Torah that Hashem writes, the mitzvahs, the stories that are in the Torah. What is all the white part of the Torah? What is this, what's surrounding it? Something that's beyond expression. Something that Hashem is not capable of expressing. Something that goes beyond any mitzvahs, any words that Hashem can ever say about Klal Yisrael. It goes even beyond that. Right? We say, we say in, 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 in every Yantif, we say in Kiddush, Hashem raised us up above all the other languages. And on a simple level, that means that Lashon HaKadosh, the language we speak, is higher and more exalted than any other language. But it means something much more than that. For Memtanami Kol means that it's beyond expression. Hashem's love for us is exalted above any Lashonis, above any words of expression that could be expressed. Therefore, the Shira that's sung after Klal Yisrael just went through such a difficult time in Mitzrayim, 210 years in Mitzrayim, and then being chased by the Mitzrayim when we're standing by the Yam, we say, okay, Rabban Hashem, there's a song that we're singing, but there's also so much more that we're not even capable of expressing because we realize that your love to us is deeper than capable, that you're, than is capable of being expressed in actions. And therefore, the song that we sing, there's words that we're saying, which is the Az Yashar Moshe, but ultimately, there's a lot of blank space. And the blank space means that which we're not capable of expressing, that which goes beyond expression, that relationship between us and Hashem and Hashem and us, which is not put on the black, black fire, which is not made out of black letters, which is something deeper than that. And that's the concept of, of what it means to really be able to close your eyes. What, is this, what does this have to do with Tubishvat? This is what Tubishvat is. Tubishvat is a very, very deep yantif because nothing takes place. Nothing happens. You look at the tree and nothing happens to the tree. Fruits don't grow on the tree. Nothing happens. The Gemara tells us that what happens on Tubishvat is the sraf is ilan. The sap inside the tree slowly starts making its way up inside of the tree and eventually in, in two months' time, we'll start being able to see the fruits that come out of the tree, which means Tubishvat is expressing not the fruit. The fruit represents external expressions of love. Fruit represents that which is good, that which is sweet. The fruit, the fruit has taste. You eat the fruit, you don't eat the bark of the tree. 
But ultimately what the bark of the tree represents is that there's roots underneath the ground that you're not capable of seeing. Is that ultimately that there's something taking place internally that you don't see externally. And you look outside on Tubishvat and it's winter and it's snow. We had snow this morning and it's cold and nothing, nothing changed. The, the tree looks beer and it's missing all of its fruit. But Tubishvat allows a person to close their eyes and to recognize that there's something called the Havashabadas. That even though I'm not capable of seeing any external expressions, there's nothing be more beautiful about the tree in Tubishvat than there was in the day before Tubishvat. But I believe and I know that if I close my eyes deeply, I'm able to recognize that the relationship between us and the Rabbanishlob goes beyond those things that are externally expressed, goes beyond the fruits that are there. And therefore, that's why that's why Tubishvat is a yantif which is connected to Mashiach. Because ultimately, that's what's going to take place by Mashiach. But Mashiach, when Mashiach comes, we're going to be able to experience that love which is beyond expression. We'll be able to finally experience it. Up until now, okay, there's expressions, there's ways that Hashem shows it to us. And we go through gullus or force to believe in it, even though we can't experience it. Ka'ula means that we'll finally be able to see that love which is the blank letters, that love which is the blank space in the Torah, that which can't be expressed. And therefore, Tubishvat is a time when we stop and we think, and we close our eyes, and we think about the relationships that we have in our life, the relationships between us and our spouses, us and our children, the relationships that we have with our own parents, the relationship that we have with our friends, and we start to realize that yes, there are external expressions, and those are important. If a person doesn't have the external expressions, there's no way of showing that there's something that goes beyond that. It's, it's necessary. Ahavashem Yamim is necessary because it's a way, of, it's a symbolism, but ultimately that's all it is. Ultimately, every card and every gift and every expression, everything that we do for the people that we love are just external expressions of showing that the relationship goes much deeper and is way beyond anything we're capable of expressing. And when it comes to our relationship with Hashem, it's the same thing. There are times that we feel Hashem's love in our life, that we're able to point to it and say, things are going well. I'm able to see how much Hashem loves me. Things went well for me today. I say, Rabbi Hashem, thank you. I'm able to see that love you have. But when things don't go well, and this is the Avayit of Tu and it's winter and it's cold and nothing looks different, we close our eyes, we say, Rabbanishim, we know that something's taking place underneath the surface, that somehow inside the bark of the tree, that which doesn't taste like anything, I know that there's sraf oilo ilan. I know that something's shaking, something's moving, there's real love, but just not something that's not able to be expressed. And that's the secret of the Yantaf of Tubishvat. It's not external, it's not, there's nothing veer, but internal, underneath the surface, is something very deep taking place. So Hashem should help us that we should be zaych in our own relationships that we have in our own life. And ultimately, in our relationship with Hashem, we should realize that yes, there are days that are havashab yaman, there are days that are external, there are days that we're able to point and say, it's amazing, things are going well. It's the days when our kids sleep throughout the night and, and we're able to say, Baruch Hashem, it's great. My kids are bringing me nachas, their pork looks great. We're able to see it. everything's going well in Shalom Bayez. Things are going well between me and the Rabbani Shem. It's great. Things are working, things are moving. I'm able to see that world, which is called the havashab yaman. But ultimately, to recognize that even when I'm not capable of seeing it, and the relationships that I have in my own life, and the relationships that I have with the Rabbanu Shalom, I believe that the relationship is like that kala by the by the badekin. The relationship is even when there's that veil on, even when I'm not capable of seeing with my with my external eyes, even when my eyes of flesh are not capable of seeing. But if I close my eyes and squeeze them tight. I'm able to recognize, I'm able to see way, way deeper than I'm able to see right here and right now. I'm able to recognize that there's something underneath the surface that's taking place. So Hashem should help us. We should learn the secret. It's a difficult secret to do. Like it's, it's challenging and it's hard. But ultimately, when we recognize and close our eyes tight and squeeze them and really say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekin Hashem Achad, and the relationships that we have, and the relationship that we have with the Rabbani we'll be able to realize and recognize and hopefully reveal this real Ahava that Hashem has for us. And Hashem, by doing that, to come to that place that Chani Hamaga wanted to come to, where everything's revealed, everything's clear, everything's open. And by doing that, we'll be able to be Zechat, to share Hamalas, Beshuvah, Hashem, Shivas, Tzion, to finally go back to Eretz Yisrael with the base of Mikdash and to be able to experience Hashem's ultimate love for Kali Yisrael.